We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Geico presents sharing versus oversharing. Today, Bridget Griffin shared a video of her daily yoga routine, two self-help articles, and her new blog called Build Your Inner Bridge with Bridge. Girl, your sharing is turned into oversharing. No worries, Bridge. Geico has some info worth sharing with your seven blog followers, like how you could save money on your car insurance, update your policy, and report a claim just by visiting geico.com. How's that for building your inner bridge? Bridge, Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. You can use the promo code Rotowire when you deposit on DraftKings, and that'll get you a free contest entry today. All right, it is Monday, October 26th, the year 2015. Nick Whalen here, as I always am, on Mondays with Derek Van Riper. Derek, we're going to break down all of the games from Week 7. Um, you know, started out with a, a huge win for my Jacksonville Jaguars early in the morning on Sunday. Um, and then just, you know, a pretty 
decent slate of games, I guess. Nothing, nothing really crazy happening on this Sunday. Uh, a heavy after, or excuse me, a heavy noon slate of games, just two late games. So we really weren't left with uh, with much to choose from late in the afternoon. But uh, I guess, how are you doing? How did you? What did you do for your NFL Sunday? Sunday was. Um... It was a rough day for me due to non-football things. I coach a high school soccer team, and we had our second playoff game Saturday night. We lost one nothing. Good close game. Boys played well, and Saturday night I was I was pretty cool about it. You know, I was just like, all right, played well. Kind of let it sink in. I was frustrated about a few things. Went to bed late Saturday night. Woke up really early Sunday, and was just enraged. I was enraged about some calls that happened during the game. Some stuff that I didn't want to kind of overtake what was happening in the moment. I didn't want to make the game about the officiating because that's a terrible way to approach high school sports. But I was letting it sink in a little bit more, like some of the things that happened. And I was just enough. I was in a just an absolute rage. So naturally, instead of going to the gym or somewhere where you could actually like expend real energy, I thought, well, I'm going to do some dishes because there are no games on yet. I was up at like 6.30 Central. So we're two hours away from this, uh, this JAG fest in London, and I, I don't want anything to do with that game. I could have to beat that out. I don't know. I I don't know. I, I I don't I don't know. I mean, is that what is that? Like that's PG thirteen ish. Anything with the Jags at this point is kind of up in the air. NC seventeen. There's been a couple rated R moments. The the third quarter of this game was certainly rated R uh, for the I, Jaguars. I would not let my children watch Gus Bradley coach. I wouldn't because if you're running to Bimbo Gunnar Gerhardt six times in a game you actually deserve to lose like he did everything in his power to throw this game away and i watched probably half the second half most the second half this this was how my sunday morning it wasn't traumatic in any way it wasn't bad horrible stuff happens to people every day i was in such a bad mood that i went out for breakfast the food tasted like crap <laughs> I, I was just i was just in such a crap mood nothing nothing good was going to happen in the morning yesterday i had four or five hours of sleep and I was pissed off. Like that's that's a terrible way to start your Sunday. So I go out to breakfast. I come back. I flip on this game and try to make food for the rest of the day. I love this is one of the best things about Sunday for me is that you can throw like a slow cooker on in the morning, and by the time the late afternoon games are on, you get dinner, and it's it's easy. It's done. Like it's one of the most relaxing days of the week normally. But I'm just sitting there on my couch, kind of crumpled up with my phone getting peeved about everything that's not going my way throughout the day in my season-long teams. My DraftKings lineup was doing pretty well until the Sunday night game, which kind of... We'll get to that. It temporarily lifted me up, and then Sunday night kind of like threw the weight right back on my shoulders, and and I'm feeling better today. No one cares about my feelings, though. And um, anyway, bottom line for me is it, it was a pretty good weekend overall, but Sunday... It felt like three days packed into one, just in terms of how long it took to get over with. Yeah, I think that's very fair. And that's what happens with these early, I think it was an 8.30 uh, central time. So our time zone start on that London game. And I guess we can start there in, in our breakdown of as we go game by game here. Jags 34, Bills 31. Felt like the Jags were going to lose this multiple times throughout the game. Um, but all of a sudden now they, they sit at second place in the division, just one game out of first place after Indianapolis lost. Um, just an ugly, ugly, ugly game. And and I, like you, I my, my original plan was to stay up really late on Saturday and just try to sleep through the Jags game. I didn't want to risk. I knew if I was... If <laughs> don't, I woke, don't wake up. Right. Yeah, I, I, woke, I ended up waking up at like 10, 15. I was like, oh, man, I guess I have to watch this now. And yeah, I tuned in just in time for the second half to see... Blake Bortles kind of implode, I guess, and this offense as a whole implode. 
Bortles, again, finished with a decent fantasy day, a couple touchdowns, just 182 yards, one pick. That was, of course, a pick six that ended up giving Buffalo the lead at that point. Um, but Jags' second-half possessions, at, at one point in this game, they were up 27-3. to Buffalo scores, it's 27-10. They get a field goal, it's 27-13. Jacksonville leads 27-13 at the start of the third quarter. So you're still feeling you know, pretty good about this. And they just could not control the clock at all um they had one drive to open the third quarter uh, that that ended you know that was the toby gerhardt drive that you touched on earlier they gave gerhardt four straight carries from the one yard line and he couldn't get in so they end up forfeiting on downs at that point they give it up at their one yard line buffalo drives all the way down for a field goal and the jaguars next three possessions you're you're leading by 11 points all you need to do is you know kill the clock this isn't a great offense punt 32 seconds punt 54 seconds punt one minute 41 seconds Pick six, one minute and 12 seconds. So they did ab- absolutely nothing to kill the clock. But then, you know, once you get into a position where you're, where you're able to score, where you should be able to score, you start pounding Toby Gerhardt. So very puzzling coaching decisions. Um, obviously, Jacksonville ends up with a win. Probably should have been a game that, you know, wasn't as close as it was. Um, but a couple decent fantasy performances. If, you, if for some reason you, you back the Jags this week, TJ Yeldon came back after not playing last week, 115 yards and a touchdown for him, had one catch. Like we said, Toby Gerhardt, eight big yards on six carries. Allen Robinson, 98 yards and a touchdown. He's got four touchdowns in his last three games, and Allen Hearns got in the end zone again. He has a TD in five straight games. So Hearns and Robinson are the only two teammates now in the top 10 in receiving touchdowns this year. And obviously they, they haven't had their buy yet, so they've played a couple more games than some teams. But I mean, are you buying into this duo as a legitimate one-two combo? I, I think Robinson is a legitimate number one receiver. I think Hearns is kind of a... A three being cast in as a two right now if Marquise Lee were healthy I feel like Lee'd be getting a lot of the targets that Hearns has been getting and even the two for 53 and a score that Alan Hearns gave us this week came on eight targets it's kind of a, a James Jones looking line where if he didn't score people were gonna be pretty disappointed in what he brought to the table where was Julius Thomas in this one one catch for four yards I mean that guy that guy's a mismatched nightmare he had we had the bruised ribs coming into the week uh, but I mean he was practicing by midweek seemed like that wasn't much of an issue I'm not sure um yeah very disappointing performance for him he got in the end zone last week looked like he was poised to maybe become a little bit bigger part of this offense at least but that certainly was not the case bigger story and maybe the biggest story here is Blake Bortles is on pace to absolutely destroy David Garrard's team touchdown pass record somehow the record for the Jags is 23 in a single season which is absurdly low for a number of reasons but now Bortles is at 15 through seven games so Barring some sort of catastrophe, you know, over the next nine games, he, he should be able to cruise to that fairly easily. Barring some sort of jag catastrophe, yeah, to be, to be <laughs> completely... that's certainly not out of the cards by any means. Uh, looking at the Bills side of this one, EJ Manuel played all right. Uh, a lot of mis- a lot of mistakes in the, in the first half. Uh, ended up playing pretty well over quarters three and four. Twenty four of forty two, two hundred ninety eight yards, two touchdowns, two picks. Did have thirty eight yards on the ground. Did have a pick six. Also had a fumble return for a touchdown. Uh, Robert Woods caught a touchdown, 84 yards from him. LaShawn McCoy, 68 yards on the ground, was unable to find the end zone. But why do we keep sending the Jaguars to London? If we're trying to to generate interest overseas, I don't know why the Jaguars are that team. That's a good question. Um, I think maybe the idea here is that there's really not a team in the English Premier League who wears a kit that looks like the Jags uniform. So from a marketing standpoint, you know, you get something that's a little bit unique over there, gets people on board. Uh, maybe they'd have negative associations with other 
teams and their uniforms based on similarities. I think the Dolphins have played over there. There's no team in the Premier League wearing the, the teal and orange that the Dolphins wear. So there's probably something to this. And it's probably it's a lot more complex. I think it's something about the teal because no one in the Premier League wears that color. It's just it's has teal not made its way across the pond yet? I think I think the Brits have some kind of um, reservations about the color because they're not really sure if it's a blue or if it's a green. That catches a lot of people off guard. There, I think there have been a lot of friendships that have been destroyed over arguments about which family teal belongs in. I would always say it, it trends towards green. It's like 60-40 green. I think that that applies in both the Jaguars and the Dolphins' cases, right? Yeah, well, in, in the Dolphins' case, that looks more like a green to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the Jags' case, it actually looks more like a blue. And then the San Jose Sharks, I think, are also more of a blue. So there are, I guess there are some shades of teal. It's, it's a messed up color, really, is, in right? terms of what it does to, uh, to friendships. But EJ Manuel should have been just awful in this game. I, I, I can't get past the fact that the Jags even let this one get close again. They didn't deserve to win. No. Fortunately, they're playing the Bills, who always find a horrible way to lose. I'm curious to see if LaShawn McCoy pops up on the injury report in this one. Do you see that hit he took late in the game near the goal well, he line? He fumbled on the play, too. Fumbled yeah, on the play. That was a huge, huge play. And it, he got hit kind of a, a glancing blow kind of off the side of his helmet, like directly into his shoulder. Probably suffered a stinger, like a bad stinger. And that's how he's able... I think he came back into the game after it happened. Yeah, he did. I just... I wonder, though, if, if that's the kind of thing that tightens up and gets worse after the game and if he actually gets limited. Uh, well, it's going to be a buy at least in, in week eight, yeah. but he should be okay for week nine. Bottom line, he took a massive hit in there, and I, it looked kind of scary at first. I thought there was a chance maybe he had a, a neck problem as a result of it. He seemed to survive that, but EJ Manuel, I mean, really hooked up with Robert Woods pretty frequently in this one. I thought Charles Clay would do more. Woods had nine catches for 84 yards and a TD. One of the few things that went right for me uh, in one of my season-long leagues was picking him up and throwing him in with, with the bye weeks taking away a few of my players. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Sammy Watkins, obviously not active. I don't think he made the trip. I know Percy Harvin didn't make the trip over to London either. So the Bills were shorthanded. Robert Woods able to get 13 targets. Chris Hogan had 11 targets. But other than those two... Uh, you know, EJ Manuel really unable to hook up with anyone else. Buccaneers 30, Redskins 31. Buccaneers led this one 24 to 7 at the half. This was a kind of a mirror image of the Jacksonville game in many ways, but you know, in the end, the Jags were able to come back. Tampa Bay was not. Did you see the clip of Kirk Cousins after the game? I saw the stills of it and I didn't watch it. I don't know why I didn't watch it. I think it's because I don't like Kirk Cousins and everyone seemed to be happy about what he did. Yeah, well, I mean, it was the. I mean, you saw, if you saw the stills, you kind of know what I'm talking about. You know, he comes in right off the field, walking to the locker room, and, and it looked like, I believe the original video came from a CSN Washington reporter. So I'm assuming that, you know, the, a group of reporters were standing to the side, and he, you know, he looked at them and said, do you like that? <laughs> um, so I don't know. I, yeah, I I'm watching as, the Vine right now. I mean, yeah, I got I got I the gist of what happened yeah. now. This is, um, it's not quite Pete Weber setting the PBA record, oh. which I think will, that made that... That's an unattainable record. That sputtering of sentence fragments may never be topped. Human language may never come up with anything that tops Pete Weber after he broke that record. But this is this is good. This is one of the highlights of the season. I mean, for a team that isn't going to go anywhere this year, they got reasons to be excited. They came back against a bad team at home to win a game they didn't deserve to win. So good for them. Yeah, so overall, you did you did like Kirk Cousins doing that? Yeah, I actually kind of like it. I like seeing that fire because I I just I don't really believe in this guy as a quality NFL no. quarterback. I think he's going to be 
He'll be in the league for a long time as a backup. He's the kind of guy that can come in and, and keep you from falling flat on your face when your starter you goes down. The Buccaneers. Yeah, right. He, he, he can come in and beat a bad team, but I, I don't I don't really see what NFL talent evaluators, I should say what the Redskins talent evaluators see in him as far as making him a starting quarterback. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he. you look at his line, nothing really you know jumps off the page 33 of 40 317 yards just limiting turnovers I guess is the biggest thing for him and you know a guy who's had I think four games already of multiple interceptions and it's kind of amazing what doesn't or what happens when you don't just give the ball to the other team he's only sacked once Washington wasn't able to get anything going on the ground at all after Alfred Morris just five yards on six carries Matt Jones 29 yards on nine carries so you know they kind of relied on Kirk Cousins especially in the second half and I think he had a right to be fired up. I think some people maybe took that as, you know, he was yelling at a single reporter directly, you know, who had, who had written something negatively about him. Maybe that was the case. I, mean, I think he was just fired up. It's a big win. You know, you just beat the Buccaneers. Um, you know, a lot to be happy about. Looking at this from the Tampa Bay side, Jameis Winston, 21 of 29, 297 yards, two touchdowns, no picks for him. So a pretty solid game on his end. Doug Martin, 136 yards, unable to get in the end zone on the ground. Mike Evans, eight receptions, 164 yards, and a touchdown. I think last week, was it you or maybe Mike Doria predicted a big week out of Mike Evans? I thought it was you. I think I mentioned it, if not on Monday, on Friday. I had him in my DraftKings lineup, so I was pretty happy to see him go off, especially because he scored early in this one. I mean, any time your player scores in the first half of his game, you feel really good because anything that happens after that right. is kind of gravy. You know, you get the, the floor has been raised. Right. You, you get the return on what you spent immediately and you're like, all right, well, if this game flows properly, this could be a massive day. And that's kind of what it turned into yep. for Mike Evans. Uh, tough day for, for Jay Boo wins, though, to go 21 of 29 for 297 and two TDs and to lose. So Jay Boo loses in this case. Falcons 10, Titans 7. Maybe one of the strangest final scores of the day uh, I think a lot of people thought Atlanta was really going to be able to romp here you know they they lost on Thursday night so a little bit of extra time to prepare for Tennessee obviously they do get the win but definitely not in pretty fashion Matt Ryan 22 of 38 251 yards a touchdown at two picks Devontae Freeman another strong game 116 yards on the ground for him Julio Jones got in the end zone early that's kind of the same situation we just talked about you know didn't really do much the rest of the day, but nine catches, 92 yards, and had that touchdown right away. Um, this Atlanta offense took a while to get going. Started with a punt, punt, uh, giving the ball up on downs, and then a pick on their first four possessions. So it took a while to get going. Obviously, it doesn't really take too much to to beat a Ken Wisenhunt team, though. No, it doesn't. And if you could say, um, he said something like, hey, you can go RKO any head coach that you want in the NFL. Wisenhunt would be the first guy I would pick. Really? I mean, I... I would love to to use the Randy Orton out of RKO. Nowhere. Oh, so yeah, it's got to be out of nowhere. It's the only way. Like he's got to run up from behind and just drop that thing. But come on, I mean, like ten points against the Titans. Like this kind of makes me rethink Atlanta just a little bit. I know they're a different team when they play away from the George Dome. Uh, kind of surprised Devonta Freeman didn't find the end zone in this one, but good yardage day at least. They still love running Antonio Andrews in Tennessee. I mean, five yards a carry, I guess, sort of justifies it for at least this week. But the only silver lining for me with this performance for the Falcons is that they kept the Titans' offense quiet. Granted, it was with a backup quarterback in Zach Mettenberger. Uh, And I think there's a lot of issues talent-wise, of course, with the weapons there. The receivers, as interesting as they could be, haven't put it together yet. So this probably lowers the Falcons to 
the second tier of NFL teams. I think there was a, an argument to be made, even though they lost to the Saints in week six, they belonged in there with the Patriots, the Bengals, Packers, teams like that. I think this puts them a tier below those those teams just because you've got to make your layups. I, mean, they, I guess they technically did by winning, but you should win this game by 20. They yeah the ball rolled around the rim maybe hit off the backboard a couple times and ended up falling in it's an ugly layup there's no such thing as a bad win in the NFL but you know if you if you're talking tiers and obviously these are just made up by by people like us but if you want to be included in those top tiers with the New Englands the Green Bays even the Cincinnatis you know you you have to take care of business against a team like Tennessee and they ultimately did but just a not a not a win that you feel great about I guess if you're an Atlanta Falcons fan. Um, you know, missed field goal, Matt Ryan throwing an interception from the, the Titans one yard line in the fourth quarter in this one. So they certainly had opportunities to, to run the score up a little bit, but weren't able to convert. I wanted to ask you quickly about, uh, you know, where, where you tier a team like Atlanta. You know, you have five undefeated teams now after the Panthers took care of business on Sunday night. And then you have the Falcons as the, the lone one loss team at six and one. And you have the Jets and Cardinals at four and two. The Vikings are also four and two. Steelers still sitting back at four and three. Obviously, they may, they may be looking a little bit better if Roethlisberger plays. But you know, where, where are your tiers, I guess? Is, we'll start with New England and Green Bay. Is, is New England on a tier by itself, or are those two kind of grouped together for you? I think they're the favorites to represent their respective conferences in the Super Bowl right now. And I think if you were making a line, you'd probably say New England by maybe a point and a half on a neutral field. Uh, I think for me, their offense is running at a higher level right now than the Packers. But I think with the Packers, a lot of it has been health-related. You're going to get Devontae Adams back coming off the bye. I would at least expect that to happen. James Jones is even a little bit banged up. Cobb's shoulder's been a problem. Those three guys being healthy, I think, get things going in the passing game. Eddie Lacy's ankle's been a problem. I think that's going to become less of an issue for him, potentially in the second half. So New England's kind of at the top. Green Bay's in the same tier as the second-best team. Where I'm really torn is with the other undefeated teams. I'm not sure if the Bengals are as good as the Patriots and Packers or if they're part of the next tier. That, that's kind of the toss-up. I mean, we've seen Andy Dalton turn into a pumpkin over and over in the playoffs, so that could repeat itself, but it looks like he's really turned a corner. And as offensive weapons go, they might have the most complete offense of any team in the league right now. I mean, they're kind of up there with Atlanta in that regard, and I think Cincinnati's defense is probably a little better than Atlanta's at the present time. So I guess just thinking in terms of like Super Bowl favorites with New England and Green Bay at the top, we'll put Cincinnati, Denver, Carolina, Atlanta in in the next tier. And I think the argument that I would want to have with someone at some point is the Jets, Cardinals or Steelers with Ben Roethlisberger coming back Do any of those teams belong in the conversation with the likes of the Broncos, the Panthers and the Falcons. And, And my argument would be that the Jets probably do. I think they handled themselves pretty well in that game against New England. It's tough to go on the road to Foxborough and get a win. I think they can run it well when Chris Ivory's healthy. I think he was dinged up in this game on Sunday, so that was probably part of the issue for them. I like their receivers with Marshall and Decker. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is adequate. When you think about how good their defense is, too, they've got balance. They're not a team that has to score 30 points a week to win, and they can shut down even a quality offense more often than not. So I think of those other teams, the Jets, the Cardinals, and the Steelers, right now for me, the Jets are the best of that bunch. I think the answer for me would have been the Cardinals um, before last week. You know, they that loss to, to Pittsburgh was pretty unexcusable, I think, or inexcusable. Um, you know, if they come back with a big win Monday night against Baltimore, I think they're kind of right back in that conversation. I and mean, they, 
the Cardinals were kind of in the Bengals conversation for a little bit, I think, as, you know, maybe that team ready to leap into tier one or tier two, but then, you know, a couple puzzling losses, um, but coupled with some pretty impressive and, and you know, scoreboard wise, big wins. So I think the Cardinals are right there if they can prove to be a little bit more consistent. The Jets offense worries me. I think it's good enough to maybe win a playoff game in the right circumstances. I don't know if they're necessarily a true Super Bowl contender. That Steelers offense now with Martavis Bryant back uh, and when Ben Roethlisberger gets back, I think they can give Cincinnati a run for its money in the AFC South, or excuse me, in the AFC North. Denver obviously has a lot of question marks, but we're going to get some answers uh, over the next couple of weeks. I mean, coming out of the bye, we go Green Bay goes at Denver, and then Green Bay is at Carolina the next two weeks. So, you know, of those three teams, there's going to be some movement, you would think, um, you know, over, over the next few weeks coming out of that bye week. Let's move on to the... Saints and Colts. Saints and the Colts. Yeah, I'm, I'm lost on our outline here. The Saints, 27. The Indianapolis Colts, 21. Andrew Luck got booed out of this game as, as the Colts left the field at halftime. Um, apparently, the, the Colts GM and the Colts owner had some words for each other after the game. Sounds like something that's probably been brewing for a while. The Colts were down 20-0 <laughs> at the half in this one. Um, two more interceptions for Andrew Luck. Finished with a decent line fantasy-wise, 333 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, obviously, those coming all in the second half. Did throw a pick right before halftime. I think that was the source of a lot of those boos. Colts were on the move, maybe looking to get into field goal range and, and then a giveaway there. T.Y. Hilton, big day, four catches, 150 yards, two touchdowns. Dante, Dante Moncrief, excuse me, also caught a touchdown from Luck. Drew Brees, 28-44, 255 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Mark Ingram, 143 yards on just 14 carries and a touchdown for him and two touchdowns from Kyrie Robinson, vulturing uh, a couple from Mark Ingram owners, much in the same way that Mike Tolbert did for you uh, against Jonathan Stewart. Oh, that's the absolute worst. Yeah, Mark Ingram would have had an absolutely huge day if he'd picked up two TDs that Kyrie Robinson had. I mean, the Colts are just a mess right now. Andrew Luck doesn't seem to be completely healthy. I don't know if the the boos were actually even directed at him as much as they were just directed at Chuck Pagano and the the overall product here and i understand the frustration for from jim ursay but this is, this is the guy you hired as the owner and ryan grigson and it seems like grigson and even chuck pagano on different pages could just see the colts cleaning house yeah i at think the end that, of the year maybe not mid-season because mid-season firings rarely go as well as the one uh, in miami so I, it just feels like things are spiraling out of control right now in indy yeah the thing is they're not going to make an in-season move unless things really really bottom out because they're still in first place in the division. They're three and four, and that's good enough for first in the AFC South. And if, if they keep playing at this rate, they're probably still going to end up winning the division. If you look at how a team like Houston's playing, um, you know, just got lambasted by Miami on Sunday, Jacksonville's not much of a threat, and Tennessee only has one win. So I think even though this relationship is pretty fractured from an owner to GM to coach perspective, I think there's still the you know, the clear best team in that division. And I'm not sure if it's worth blowing anything up midseason because they're probably still going to sneak into the playoffs. And then once you get to that level, you know, and you have Andrew Luck, a guy who's played well in those stages before, you don't really know what's going to happen. So I think at the end of the year, they probably end up cleaning house unless, thing, you know, things turn around miraculously and they and they make a run in the AFC. But, yeah, Chuck Pagano was on the hot seat coming into the season, and I, I don't think that seat has really cooled off much at all. No, we'll get a good look at them too against the, the Panthers coming up here on Monday night next week. So... A road game for Indianapolis, really a tough spot for them. They go back home to face the Broncos, then on the road to Atlanta. Home against the Bucks at the end of November shouldn't be too bad. Uh, but then a road trip to the Steelers, and if the division stays close, I mean, that game, December 13th at Jacksonville, that could be for the AFC South. 
It's it's absolutely crazy to think that, but it, I mean, it, in many ways, it could be. I, I think Jacksonville will continue to to slip up, so it probably won't uh, end up meaning a whole lot. But you know, like you said, you look at those games up and down the Colts schedule, and there's really none that you feel great about, at least compared to how we felt about them when we looked at it. I think week one or two, we did the same exercise, and you know, it's it's hard. It was hard to pick against the Colts in almost every game, uh, and now you know you find yourself after losing uh, at home to a really bad Saints team. I don't know where to measure them at. No, and I, I saw a pretty funny tweet from uh, from Mark Stopa of the Stopa Law Firm League fame and and Stopa Law Firm itself, um, mentioning that you know the Colts are two and zero with Matt Hasselbeck at quarterback, so maybe a controversy oh, okay. is brewing. That would be the ultimate. I don't even know what what kind of move that would be. Like, is that a, is that considered a troll move against? against Andrew Luck if you're benching him for a guy like that I think that's Chuck Pagano like asking for walking papers right I think that's what that would be Be like hey I don't want to be here anymore please fire me all right Vikings 28 Lions 19 Vikings now four and two kind of lurking a couple games behind Green Bay in the NFC North I think they're the clear second best team in that division now there's really no debate about that and probably really hasn't been for the last few weeks Matthew Stafford, 18 of 26, 256 yards, two touchdowns for him. Eric Ebron came back in a big way, 89 yards and a touchdown for him. Calvin Johnson got in the end zone early in this one, didn't really do much the rest of the day. That's kind of been the story uh, with him, inconsistency this season. Teddy Bridgewater, nice game for him, 25 of 35, 316 yards, two touchdowns. One of those came to Stephon Diggs, who is on the He's close to breaking out, right, on a national level. A uh, guy who's had three big weeks in a row now, finally got at the end zone for the first time and did it in a pretty prolific way, a really, really nice full extension uh, diving touchdown. He finishes with 108 yards and that score on six catches. Adrian Peterson bottled up for most of the day, had 18 carries for 23 yards outside of the 75-yard run that he fell just short of the end zone. Had to leave this game briefly due to a illness, which... But if you, I don't know, depending on who you talk to, he may or may not have swallowed some chewing tobacco. Yeah, well, he says he's immune to that. But that, that was the, that was the story <laughs> of the day on Sunday. He said he's been dipping for ten years, and that he his body his body is immune to swallowing a dip. So that's uh, that's an achievement for for Mr. That's Peterson. Not even like like basically, I, I'm I'm guessing like a Vikings PR person was like, yeah, don't say you swallowed chew. You know, that's not a good look for you. But like. His excuse wasn't, no, that's not what happened. It was like, yeah, maybe I did swallow chew, but that wouldn't make me throw up. Right, I've done yeah. that before. No, I, I've got a shellfish allergy, and I ate some shrimp. It's like, like um, the night before the game, you so ate shellfish? It, you, you, have, you have a known allergy, and you thought, like, I like shrimp so much. I'm just going to go ahead and eat them anyway, and if I can't play tomorrow, uh, eh, whatever, my team will be fine yeah, because I just love, it's like, the, the confidence. Lions. Like, oh, people believe this. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've... <laughs> I, I actually kind of just want it to be the the dip story because oh, yeah. that's just a great story if that's if that's what happened. I mean, it's like it's it, harmless. I mean, it's not a, it's not the best look from a PR standpoint. No, not a, not a good look for for an NFL star player to be uh, admitting to chewing tobacco use for ten years. It's not a not a good example. I don't think but it's that uncommon. Though. How many? I mean, Adrian Peterson's not the only. It seems NFL it, player. it seems surprising in the NFL a little bit. I mean, compared to baseball, but if I bet it's more prevalent than people realize. I think so too. I don't think it's. I think it's kind of a shock to think, like, why would you want to do that during a football game? But if you've been doing it for a long time, and you know he's a Texas guy, I think that's a little more prevalent in, in the South than it is up here. I don't think it's that surprising at all. And it just seems like a little bit of a choking liability. A Clearly, it's a puking liability as well. So I don't know. Well, maybe he'll, he'll change his tune on that. But it is kind of incredible how many guys are, A, you know, 
doing things like chewing tobacco or be just like not wearing mouth guards. Yeah, that's that's, that's an interesting choice. Like Cam Newton, you could tell last night not wearing mouth guards. There was a, I, I forget what player I was watching with with a friend and and she noticed that somebody was chewing gum during a game, like in a sport where you're getting hit oftentimes without realizing it. You know, somebody comes up from behind from the side, like it just seems like you'd bite your tongue or you, something would happen to your teeth. I think it's also I, I don't know how, how many studies have been done, but I've I've seen players in basketball wearing mouth guards to reduce the impact of getting elbowed in the head or hitting their head yeah. because it it may may help to reduce the likelihood of a concussion that's probably yeah. inconclusive like many things in science at this point but it's weird in the nfl to see a player not wearing a mouth guard nonetheless hey amir abdullah didn't fumble so that, that's a good thing for the that's, lions that's the only note i had looking at at this detroit line other they than had Stafford a lead. And the receivers eric ebron played pretty well five for 89 and a score yep. megatron five for 86 and a score stafford yeah kind of a stafford sort of day i mean the Lions had controlled this game for a little while, too. Kind of a disappointing outcome for them. And I know ownership really likes Jim Caldwell, but if things keep spiraling the way they have, I have to wonder if he might be in danger at the end of the season. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy uh, that would be let go in season no. just based well, on that just, relationship. It's just a, the same story the last few weeks with Detroit. You know, they're not, we know they're not as bad as the Jacksonvilles and the Tennessees, but the record shows that they are. And it did. You know, if you keep losing games like this, I guess maybe that maybe at some point I have to accept that they are in that bottom category. It's just the talent just seems to be better than your typical one loss or one win team at this point in the season. Joe Lombardi is just Brian Schottenheimering all over the place, though, with the, the play calling. They're, the Lions' play calling is reminiscent of like the Rams over the last few years when when Brian when Schottenheimer was the uh, offensive coordinator there. It's it's bad. It's it's quite bad. Steelers thirteen, Chiefs twenty three. This is a game that I had a lot riding on uh, in, in a couple pick'em leagues ended up uh, clearly backfiring. I, I really thought Landry Jones was going to be able to overcome what's a pretty limited Chiefs offense at this point. But Charkandrick Priest-Holmes-West finally rewarding everybody who went and grabbed him a couple weeks ago on the waiver wire after Jamal Charles went down. Big, big game for him. 22 carries, 110 yards, and a touchdown. Le'Veon Bell got to 121 yards on just 17 carries. He's still good at football. Alex Smith, 21 of 32, 251 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. That's exactly the type of game that Kansas City needs from Alex Smith if they're going to beat a team like Pittsburgh that's undermanned. Yeah, kudos to anyone who held on to West. I should say more like kudos to anyone who started him coming off a pretty disappointing uh, first opportunity to replace Jamal Charles a week ago. Five yards of carry is impressive. He caught a couple passes, was targeted five times. Niall Davis had one carry and zero targets. So things seem to be pretty heavily in favor of Sharkandrick West right now. I think if you're looking at the buys in week eight, you got some injury problems. Niall Davis might be a cut right now. I mean, I, I just think he's one of those guys that doesn't even have the timeshare role that I expected him to have. I thought maybe he'd be the pass catching back and West would be the lead ball carrier and there'd be a way for them to sort of coexist. And even some weeks, Davis could be useful as the flex. But right now, that doesn't appear to be the case at all. No, no, not at all. And I think that was the big question mark, you know, when Jamal Charles went down. It first seemed like maybe Niall Davis was going to be the guy. I mean, he was the presumed backup, I think, at the start of the season. But then that game in which Charles got hurt, West ended up, I think it was kind of like a 5-2 to two ratio uh, as far as carries went after Jamal and Charles went down. So people, you know, I think put a lot of stock in Sharkandrick West being the featured back. Last week, they kind of split the workload. Nobody really has a good day. But, you know, now West, I think, is the clear favorite. And if you're rostering both of those guys, I think you almost have to cut Niall Davis at this point. Obviously, it depends on what's available and what your roster situation is. But 
I don't really see too many you know common format situations in which you can feel really good about rostering Niall Davis. No, I, I don't see him either. I think we're at the point now seeing what Landry Jones did in this game, 16-29 to 29 for 209, a TD, and a couple of picks. Michael Vick's career is probably over. Um, I mean, Jones Sad enough, yes. was at least good enough in this one to hang, hang around. The two picks kind of hurt him pretty badly. But Le'Veon Bell got over 100 yards on the ground. Antonio Brown was used finally in a way that befits Antonio Brown. I mean, eight targets, six catches, 124 yards. Martavis Bryant scored. So the Steelers, they should have been Roethlisberger back perhaps as soon as week eight. Even if they don't, I'd be shocked if we see Vic play another snap in the NFL at this point. Yeah, I mean, well, does it depend on the injury for you? Like, for example, like if Ben Roethlisberger is not able to come back next week, but Mike Vick gets cleared around Wednesday or Thursday, and it comes down to Vick versus Jones, you think they just ride out Jones? I think they keep playing Jones. I, I think Vick looked just awful, and I, I can't believe he that— He looked awful until that final drive against San Diego. Yeah, that, that's the weird thing that was about the thing, it. Like that, that drive alone might have like bided him a little bit more time. Maybe. I just think everyone's grasping for the player he was like seven years ago. And I know I am. I, I'd like to see him run like that again. Pre-dogfighting was... Vic and pre-getting old Vic, like th- people in my age demographic, I think like no, there was not like a single person who didn't have Michael Vick in like their top three favorite NFL players at one point. Oh yeah, but yeah, I mean, before, was... like before all the dogfighting stuff, people loved this right. guy because he strong arm, everything he, came electrifying together. That team, runner. That team was good. They switched to those at the time like awesome the new red. age jerseys. The, yeah. the 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 jerseys they still wear now, really. I mean teams were still kind of stuck in like the late nineties mode of jersey design back then. He's on the cover of, of Madden 04. That that kind of launched everything and Rotowire magazine cover that year too, I believe. Right. Well that was the big one for him. Yeah. I, I mean um, I think he has a big like blown up version of that cover at his home. Does. I know he does. I've been there. You've been there? I have not. Um, but, but yeah, obviously a downward spiral pretty quick. But he's even you know one year with Philadelphia, I mean, he was pretty much vintage Mike Vick. I don't know what year that was, 2010, 2011, maybe, maybe? maybe earlier. Yeah. I don't know, something like that. But um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll do, a, we'll do a eulogy for Mike Vick's career on a later podcast, but we'll see what, how that QB situation shakes out. Fantasy football just got a whole lot more interesting in week eight in the NFL. DraftKings will be hosting another Millionaire Maker event. This time, one million goes to first place. You can go to DraftKings.com now, enter the promo code ROTOWIRE. That'll allow you to play free with your first deposit on DraftKings. Again, that promo code is ROTOWIRE. That'll get you free entry now with your first deposit at DraftKings.com. This is not fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. All right, let's continue in our breakdown of week seven. We'll now go to St. Louis, where the Rams took care of the Browns, 24 to 6. Josh McCown, 26 to 32, 270 yards. So a big game efficiency-wise for him, but Cleveland lost four fumbles in this game, fumbled on consecutive possessions two separate times. Uh, McCown ended up leaving late in this one with a shoulder injury. Johnny Manziel, of course, came in, but it just... Such a Browns game. I mean, like I said, look at that line from Josh McCown. A lot to like there. Um, but then four fumbles, four lost fumbles. I don't even know how many times they actually fumbled and didn't lose it. Uh, but they really didn't have an answer for Todd Gurley. So maybe I'll, maybe the fumbles wouldn't have even mattered in the end. Yeah, they couldn't stop him. And that's not a huge surprise. I mean, the ownership rate in the millionaire maker, I think, was 67.1% on Todd Gurley because the price was an even 5000 And the Browns' run defense has been horrible all season long it just seemed like a matter only a matter of time before right. Gurley was going to shred him I think a lot of that damage actually came in the second half uh, not much to get excited about in the passing game this week Tavon Austin led the way for the Rams four catches 43 yards on seven targets everyone else did pretty much nothing Duke Johnson 
the only back you can trust right now in Cleveland, seven catches for 73 yards and seven targets, only six carries for 17 yards. But his involvement as a pass catcher, I think, makes him somewhat reliable, at least in full point PPR leagues. Gary Barnage continues to make his case to be considered maybe a top three tight end. Six catches, 101 yards on seven targets. Uh, and Robert Turbin getting involved, five for 30. So maybe Isaiah Crowell starts to lose some ground here and he had a long of eight. He had eight carries for nine yards, the long of eight. So that means seven carries for one yard outside of that long. Yeah, I don't know what to make of this Cleveland backfield. I, mean, I think we've agreed for the last two or three weeks now that Duke Johnson is the best option. He's the most versatile option. Like you said, another big game receiving for him. He's, he's kind of making a run at the, the Benny Cunningham Memorial Award for the, the best, most underrated receiver out of the backfield this season. Uh, I mean, he already has games with two games with six receptions, uh, had seven on Sunday, and then he had a, a nine-catch game early in the year as well. So they're almost using him more uh, as a receiving threat out of the backfield than a running back. Hasn't been able to get much going on the ground, hasn't gotten into the end zone on the ground yet. And, you know, this, this Browns rushing defense is a disaster. The Browns rushing offense is, is a disaster. But, I mean, Gary Barnage, G. Barn, has been really the lone bright spot for this offense. I think Travis Benjamin kind of stole the spotlight the first few weeks with those long touchdowns. He's certainly cooled off of late. Um, but Barnage, third 100-yard game on the year, was unable to get into the end zone, but scored five touchdowns in the previous four weeks. So, you know, even though he wasn't able to get that touchdown, still able to get over 100 yards and, and justify uh, where he was priced at in most daily formats. But, you know, at the end of the day, the Browns are the Browns. And if you have Josh McCown as your quarterback, your, your upside is pretty limited. It's tough, it's tough to complete uh, 26 of 32 passes, not throw any interceptions, and end up with a QBR of 39. Yeah, that's a, that's a strange path, to, to say the least. And, you know, the thing about the, the Cleveland offense that's also still pretty frustrating is that after Barnage, a lot of questions as far as who the true number one receiver is there. I know Travis Benjamin has shown some big playability this year, but think about how much more think about how much more effective he'd be if they had like a legitimate top 10 or top 15 receiver to put on the other side of the field because he'd be able to stretch the defense someone like josh gordon yeah i mean imagine yeah imagine travis benjamin with josh gordon on the other side of the field like that's that would be great now looking ahead for the browns the cardinals are headed to cleveland in week eight with that i expect andre ellington to get healthy and get like back on track to get well as they like to say i mean Chris Johnson, for me, losing his hold on that job. We'll see what happens in this Cardinals-Ravens game tonight. But if, if it doesn't happen in tonight's Monday night game, I expect Andre Ellington to come back to being something that resembles the player he thought he was going into the year. I mean, look what he did in week one. He's going to have another big game like that, I think, against the Browns. Yeah, I think that's certainly the team that if you need to get back on track, uh, that's the team you want to see on the schedule. And, and like we talked about at the top, I'm expecting a big, big bounce-back game from Arizona after that disappointing loss to Pittsburgh last week. I think they kind of take Baltimore to the woodshed uh, at home on a Monday night, a game that they've certainly been waiting for since that loss. Um, and then, you know, running into the Browns the next week, I don't think that's really going to be much of an issue for what I believe is a very good Arizona team that's going to get things sorted out. Texans 26, Dolphins 44. This just feels wrong saying the score because this is not what the final score should have been. Miami led 41-0 to at a point in this game they were at 35 to 0 one minute into the second quarter they had five touchdowns before houston had gained five yards as a team so absolutely disastrous start from the texans perspective uh ryan Tannehill really couldn't have been much better he finished 18 of 19 282 yards four touchdowns uh, a lot of those involved a run after the catch but you know in fantasy that doesn't really matter jarvis landry richard matthews lamar miller each with receptions of more than 50 yards 
Lamar Miller is really the guy who, who kind of broke out this week. Somebody that I think you've openly complained about his workload. I'm sure you're not the only one. Uh, the workload itself wasn't that heavy on Sunday, only 14 carries, but he was able to rip off an 85-yard run just before halftime that really boosted the yardage total. Ends up with 175 yards and that touchdown, and then 61 receiving yards and an additional touchdown on three receptions. Yeah, I mean, it's become increasingly clear that Joe Philbin not only listens to a lot of Lady Gaga, but also wears clown shoes because he was running this team at the ground in the last two weeks. Dan Campbell has kind of delivered on some of the expectations we had for the Miami offense coming into the year. I mean, Miller having a huge day, thanks in part to that long run, also catching three passes for 61 yards and a score. Um, Going to be on some, some pretty, uh, I think, well-positioned lineups on DraftKings when it's all said and done for Week 7. I mean, the the huge devastating story here is that Arian Foster went down with a torn Achilles. His season is over, uh, over 100 yards from scrimmage, got in the end zone. And, and the thing is, is, is when he got hurt, they were down 24 with less than five minutes to go in the game. Uh, it was a non-contact injury, too. This happened. He motioned out wide and just kind of dropped as he started his route. Achilles just sort of gave out on him as he was trying to make Isn't a cut. Isn't that scary? Like, that can happen to a world-class athlete. Like, that makes me just never want to, like, run ever in any circumstances. It, Jason, it happened to Jason Peters in the Sunday night game, too, except his, I think, was a back injury. It was that really was strange. He was just... Yeah, well, he he was, like, face down on the turf for a while. That, he couldn't, that he couldn't bad, move. Yeah. And then the trainer was, like, lifting his head for some yeah. reason, which also looked really odd, but... That was, yeah, that was the second worst trainer move of the year after the week one the keekly keekly the, oh the, my the god keekly yeah the, the trip and the the dive into luke keekly's <laughs> head after he's yeah like they they was that was that was an rko on keekly administered by I remember, the panthers I was, trainer. I was against the jaguars i was watching that live like i started laughing but like i shouldn't be laughing right now but i can't believe this just happened like yeah i has got a concussion you just need him in the head guy just suffered a mild traumatic brain injury and you just like that was added a major to one too i mean he was out what do you miss like three weeks three or four weeks well the weird thing too about the keekly concussion is that he came out a few weeks later i think as he was getting close to returning and said that was his first diagnosed concussion and i thought luke keekley is a tackling machine he's been that way since he played at boston Dying. college oh, that's the key word there yeah exactly it's like how many how many concussions has he had really everyone responds differently i've talked to jeff stotts roadwire's injury expert about this several times and you know it takes some people longer than others to get back to their baseline but typically the effects of concussions are cumulative. So if you've had one before, it takes you longer to recover from the second one. So just given that it took Luke Keekley several weeks to get back from what was his first diagnosed concussion, to me is proof that he's had a few over the course of his life. It'd be almost impossible for him not to have suffered one before, right. given the number of collisions he he's been involved in. Linebacker, he's a right. middle linebacker. He's a middle linebacker who's one of the best tacklers we've seen really, really in the last 20 years. I mean, he's And that does everywhere. help. The fact that he is so fundamentally sound and such a good tackler. I mean, if you tackle with good form that obviously helps your chances of not getting concussion but just the way that the nfl works you, you, the amount of hits it's, in, it's inevitable you're going to take hits to the head and yeah it's kind of worrisome that that's his first diagnosed concussion i i do wonder i mean i think the nfl has taken some nice strides you know to to try to avoid situations like this but i think back to it was odell beckham in week week one or week two uh took a hard hit came out of the game and they panned to the sideline, and he's like literally like avoiding the team doctor who was trying to diagnose him, and he just went back on the field. And, and the announcers are just like, "Well, you know, if, if if he wants to play, it's like that. That should not be how it is. You yeah. should have to. You should be forced to at least you know give a true evaluation." And I did like I think it was in the in the Sunday night game last night. I want to say it was Josh Norman was pulled off the field 
by the booth. Yep. Right. The, the guy, they like, showed the guy in the booth. He'd called down to the field because he saw something with Josh yeah, Norman. It was a hard hit. It, it turned out when they showed it on replay, it really wasn't a hit to the head. It, he kind of took one off the shoulder and it, it looked like his head jerked back a little bit. And he was upset. You know, like I think the, the official came out and said, you have to come off the field. The spotter, I, I believe that must be a neutral yep. NFL it's, spotter. It's a, I think, he was wearing, league, I think the guy mandated. in the booth was wearing like a blue NFL polo. And basically, he's just spots for looks that maybe look or hits that maybe look like they could be uh, producing a concussion. So I think Norman had to come out, sat out just one play. Uh, obviously, it wasn't anything too severe, but I think that's a step in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, t- things like that are, at least are uh, a positive. They are a step in the right direction, as you said. I mean, it's it's you're you're never as the game is constructed right now. You're never going to eliminate concussions. It's impossible. Like there, it, it doesn't matter what kind of helmet technology exists. Your brain, I mean, it's a lot like an egg in, in at least in the sense of concussions, and you can't you can't prevent the yolk on the inside from getting shaken up if you shake the egg. It just doesn't it doesn't matter. Like you can you can wrap the the egg in bubble wrap, but if you shake it violently enough, like the yolk on the inside is going to start to scramble. Like that's just the best way I can explain it uh, for anyone who's completely unfamiliar with the, how concussions really work. I mean. I think a helmet in some ways almost gives you a false sense of security. And the real concerning thing for me with football is that you're probably going to have younger levels start to have to change the game. You're going to see kids that are 10, 12 years old, especially probably move into like a flag game. That's going to become the norm, I think, in the not so distant future. I think the question is, where's the breaking point going to be? Is it going to be high school or is it going to be something that is a club (laughs) sport? Maybe. I mean, like that's. I think long, so. I think, long term. I think schools are going to want to just eliminate their name from the liability. The, the liability is going to be huge at some point for schools. I mean, we've heard about player deaths in high school. They happen like every year, sadly. Year, isn't there? And that's Nationally. and that's actually lower than a typical season, which I, I'm sure there are the occasional death in other high school sports. Guys have, or guys or girls, athletes have these uh, degenerative heart conditions or things like that, and just exercise causes it, but. In football, it's from head trauma. I mean, it's it's from something that is preventable, and I think we are going to get to a point where it, it begins to to go away. But I mean, looking at the Texans, just kind of bring it back to the Foster in this situation. This was a team that was struggling all year. They at least seemed like they were becoming respectable, having him back as a part of their offense, and with Brian Hoyer at quarterback. Nope. It's over now. Like their season is Hoyer, effectively over. Hoyer was one of eleven at one point in this game, and four of eighteen. And, and these are just two, these are two instances where I, I was just keeping an eye on the box score and screenshot. It was like this this can't be real. But he ended up finishing twenty three of forty nine with three touchdowns and just one pick, two hundred seventy three yards. So if, if for some reason you were kind of punting the QB position, especially in daily, or you know you had a buy or an injury situation on your team, and you had to start Brian Hoyer, it actually turned out okay. I mean, the, Houston finished this game with four straight TD drives. Yeah, I, it it shouldn't have turned out as as well as it did, but that was just the function of the Dolphins opening I mean, up such a massive lead where they kind of just didn't they packed care. it in like midway through the second quarter, which is yeah. insane. Uh, Jets twenty three, Patriots thirty. Pats hang on; they're still undefeated, still looking like probably the best team in the NFL. Ryan Fitzpatrick twenty two of thirty nine, two hundred ninety five yards and two touchdowns for him. Pretty solid day. Tom Brady thirty four of fifty four, three hundred fifty five yards, two touchdowns. A ton of drops for this Patriots receiving core. I looked up the numbers. Different sources said different things. Somewhere between 9 and 11. I guess it depends what you what you qualify as a drop. Um, but a ton of drop. Brandon LaFell, I think, had five he'd, or six. He had half. Yeah, he hit a bunch. And he, very he, uncharacteristic. Owned it, he owned it after the game, too. He yep. gave himself an, an F for the game. I mean, he was yep. pretty amped up to be playing after coming off that foot injury and uh, definitely struggled. Too amped up. 
eight targets, though. I mean, they, they tried to get him pretty heavily involved, and they kept going to him, even though he wasn't hauling in those passes. So it gives, gives you an idea of where they might be as far as how much they want to get him involved. And I, I wonder, with LaFell now healthy, if the Danny Amendola 8 for 86 and a TD in this one ends up being a little bit fluky. I mean, Tom Brady threw it 54 times because they could not run it against the Jets. Brady led the Patriots in rushing yards. I mean, First how, time ever. I was going to say, that, that seems rare. I, I'm not surprised it's the first time ever. I got in the end zone once, too. I am too. surprised. I feel like I, once or twice, you'd think somewhere along the line he, it would have happened. He's never been a guy that runs, though. I mean, even, well, I mean, even he, when he, he was younger. He wasn't really running in this game. Somehow, 15 yards was enough to lead New England in rushing this game. And they didn't really, they didn't really give it much of a shot. You know, we say they were, they were stifled by that Jets defense, and you know, in a lot of ways they were. They only ran the ball nine times. Yeah, five on design runs between Blunt and James White. No Deion Lewis in this one. But since LeGarrette Blunt came back and came healthy, things have been a little bit different anyway. Deion Lewis's role was kind of drying up. He's got an abdominal injury right now. James White was involved pretty early on. He got five targets, caught three balls for 26 yards. So it seems like they are comfortable enough using him, at least in, in some capacity. I think like if you're on the roster for New England, they're comfortable using you. Yeah, they, 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 just, they don't let people hang around if they don't trust them enough to give them right. touches. So he's the, the guy that fills in when Lewis misses time. But I, I also don't know if he's quite as dynamic as Deion Lewis at this point. Yeah. I actually thought James White would be a quality NFL player because he does have decent speed. He's a little bit shifty. Not quite as shifty as Lewis, side to side. Right. He's, uh, as a straight line guy... There aren't many better at that size. Once he gets to top end speed, like he can get away from guys, but it's just a matter of being able to get through the hole and, and do the damage. And, and for now, I mean, I just I see him as an extra part. Not, not anyone you'd ever even consider for like a lineup either no. for for DraftKings. I just don't think the touches no. are going to be there. But Chris Ivory clearly was hampered in this one. Seventeen carries for forty one yards. I believe that was easily his lowest total. He was out of this game of pretty early, being worked on on the sideline quite a bit. Looked like maybe yeah. a quad or a hamstring. A lot of Zach Stacy early on, and then more Ivory later on, which is kind of a surprising turn of events. Uh, Decker had six for ninety four on twelve targets. Marshall. Four for 67 on seven. Jeremy Curley vultured a TD. And Chris Ivory scored a uh, receiving TD in this one to kind of salvage nice it would have been too. otherwise a bad day. Yeah, it's like nice to see him do that because that was one thing that the Saints really didn't use him a lot for during his time in New Orleans. It seems like forever ago that he was in New Orleans. Uh, Brandon Marshall's four-game, 100-yard receiving streak came to an end. Four catches, 67 yards for him. Pats host the Dolphins next weekend. Uh, I haven't seen what the opening line is for this. I think it was it was like seven and a half. It's in New England. That sounds about right. But with what the Dolphins have looked like over the, the last couple weeks, this at least has a little bit of intrigue, a lot more than it did uh, when Joe Philbin was the head coach. Yeah, short week too, actually. Right. It's a Thursday night game, so it's going to be a quick turnaround for both teams. I think that really favors the Patriots being the home team in this case but it's going to be a good test for uh, for Dan Campbell and his guys because the I mean, the first two games he's had as head coach have come on the road against the Titans and at home against the Texans so two of the probably the five worst teams in the league this year just based on performance uh, getting the Patriots will give us a really good idea where they're at they got three in a row on the road they go at New England at Buffalo then at Philly Philly I know they still don't look right but if they start to click offensively, if they either make a change and Mark Sanchez proves to be an upgrade or if Sam Bradford gets a little more comfortable, Philly, to me, could still be dangerous. That's a pretty tough stretch of the schedule. Um, they got a home game against the Cowboys, which Tony Romo could be back for that. That's in late November. And then they go on the road to face the Jets. So four of their next five coming up on the road for Miami. Yeah, we're going to find out if this team is real and if this if this Dan Campbell, you know, kind of catching lightning in a bottle, I guess, is, is, is sustainable against good teams. 
Moving now to the late slate, only two late games. I know you weren't happy about that, how the NFL <laughs> has been divvying these games up. But with the, with the London game in the morning, I guess they, they took away maybe what would have been a late afternoon game. So only two to choose from. We'll start in San Diego. Raiders 37, Chargers 29. This one kind of had the feel of that Miami game in a lot of ways where the Raiders were up 37-6 to entering the fourth quarter in this one. And the Chargers were an onside kick away from having at least you know a Hail Mary shot at the end, unable to get that onside kick, obviously, and Oakland escapes with the win. But Derek Carr, 24 of 31, 289 yards, three touchdowns. Rivers, 58 attempts after, what was it, 67 last week? Against at, at, least, so at least 67. This has to be the highest two-week total ever, right? I think so, because it's, like, it's hard it's, to get back-to-back games like that. I bet like it's that. not even close. Uh, but, man, like this is, this is one that progressively got better if you had shares of the Chargers. Danny Woodhead had a couple of receiving TDs in this one. Keenan Allen hauled in nine passes for 89 yards after missing practice time with that hip injury. Amari Cooper with a really nice TD he in this one. Good. He's looking good. Michael Crabtree even on pace for 1,000 yards right now, 6 for 63 in a score. we got to get Richard Sherman on the pod, ask him what he thinks of Crabtree's season so far. Has he had any public comments about, about Michael Crabtree? Sherman seems like he's been pretty quiet this year because the Seahawks have really well, been a shell of the team we've seen over the last few years. Weren't they saying on Thursday night that he he grades out as like the 82nd best cornerback in the league according to pro he, football He probably focus. knows that too. I mean, I I don't, yeah, I don't think Richard I mean, Sherman's it, oblivious to things like that. No, I don't think he is either. But I think it also depends how much stock you put into things like pro football focus ratings. But I think those are starting to gain a little bit more traction nationally. You're seeing them referenced more you know, on television and things like that. So something to keep an eye on for sure. But yeah, this, I mean, Amari Cooper is the guy I came away most impressed with. Obviously, Crabtree's having a nice bounce back season. But I, mean, that, I think it was a 52-yarder, basically a, kind of one of those jailbreak screens where Cooper starts outside and you know, they get a bunch of blockers going, and he didn't really need the blockers. Basically ran past everybody, put a couple of juke moves on, and I think he was at about the 20 or 15-yard line with one more defender to beat, and just, just a quick false step to the right, didn't slow up at all, and sent a defender flying. So a guy who isn't maybe as much of a physical presence as I thought he would be as a rookie, he's almost he's been more of a big play guy. You know, I think at Alabama he was a, a big possession receiver. You know, a guy who they were able to to rely on on third downs. You know, come across the middle, make make tough catches, and he what he did have uh, one long tough catch in traffic in this game. But he's just been he's just been more of like an electric player, I guess, than I was expecting this early. Yeah, I thought it would take him some time, too, and I thought Derek Carr would be more of a limiting factor. Carr hasn't been great every single week, but he has been better than he was as a rookie. I mean, there was really nowhere to go but up. If he played as poorly as he did last year, I think he might have been in danger of actually losing the job by midseason. So uh, good news for the Raiders that he's playing pretty well, and I think Amari Cooper is a big part of that success, too, because you have a guy who's a precise route runner, he's got good hands, and he can get downfield. He can make guys miss in space, too. So really uh, kind of a nice combination of weapons right now in Oakland, too, because Latavius Murray is pretty effective as a, as a quality running back. I mean, 15 for 85 and a TD, another nice game from him. Yeah, this team is all of a sudden like somewhat of a threat in the in the AFC playoff picture. I mean, they're at they're at least number two in their division. You look at San Diego, obviously not doing a whole lot. Denver still sitting undefeated. Kansas City doesn't look like they're going to be doing a whole lot the rest of the season, even though they get that win on Sunday. But you know, I don't think Oakland's a potential playoff team necessarily. But if you know if they can play 500 football the rest of the way and end up at eight or nine wins, you know, they're at least going to be in the picture. So I, I think Derek Carr probably deserves the most credit. Like you said, he doesn't have to be great. He just has to not commit the kind of mistakes that he was committing so often last season and really I mean if he can if he can keep turning in games like this where he doesn't throw any picks throws you gives you a couple touchdowns he's doing things efficiently 
I don't see why this Oakland team can at least get to 500. Is it possible that the Raiders, I mean, like, okay, part of, part of this question is going to hinge on the, on the Broncos. Is it possible the Raiders can actually, like, play their way into winning this division? Is that is that even in the range of possibilities? Because if you look at the Broncos, their 6-0 and right now is built on a home win over the Ravens, who look bad, a road win at Kansas City when they had Jamal Charles, which is somewhat impressive but a game that kansas city should have won kansas city should have won that game multiple times uh, at detroit bad team home against the vikings decent team at oakland okay average team but played a close game and then at cleveland they won by three cleveland's bad so i mean it, i don't i don't, I don't know the, if oakland can make up three games you know if you ask me like if, if can these teams like put up an equal record the rest of the season maybe but that that still leaves Denver, you know, with eleven or whatever, however many wins that would be. I guess going forward, eleven or twelve wins. I, I don't know. I don't think that. I don't think. I don't think Denver's going to falter. I guess enough to let Oakland back into this. I think Denver could lose the rest of their road. They have four road games left. I think they could go zero and four in their road games. I think they can lose to the Packers. I think they could lose at home to New England. I mean, they've got a home game against the Bengals in there too. Like they, there, there's the, there's still a, to me within the range of outcomes. You could see the Broncos winning like three of their last ten. Like that, it's a possibility, and being a nine and seven team. Like that's still maybe good enough to win that division. Yeah, that's the thing. But it starts with that Green Bay game next week. I mean, this that's is, a this huge is for game both for them. teams. Really, I, I think Green Bay probably maybe doesn't need to make a statement as much as Denver does. I don't think Green people are questioning Green Bay as much. You know, when you're as one sided as Denver has been, obviously those questions are going to be natural. But I, I'm. I think it goes without saying that we're both looking forward to that on Sunday night. Yes, I absolutely am looking forward to that game. I think many of the listeners out there will be too. I mean, I just I see so little reason to be confident right now in that Broncos offense unless they can figure out how to run the ball more consistently. If they can do that, I think that changes the way teams have to defend them quite a bit, take some of the load off of Peyton Manning, and the defense is awesome. I mean, Denver's defense is great. I think that's what's going to carry them regardless, but if the offense is making a lot of mistakes, I think their schedule is tough enough to where they could become a 9-win team even after a 6-0 and start, which is really unusual to say about a, a team with Peyton Manning at quarterback. Is there any scenario in which they go in another direction at quarterback. I don't barring, think it happens. Barring an injury, obviously. no. I don't. I don't, I don't think. I don't it hel- think it happens either. I don't, I don't think. Th- I don't think John Elway would do that. I just don't. I don't think Elway and Kubiak. I just don't think they would do that. Well, they don't have Manning. a reason to. You know, I mean, after each week, starting with what week three, it's been you know Peyton Manning's holding this team back. One, it's not like you have a a high upside type of guy behind him and you, you know you can go back and forth what you think about Brock Osweiler but it's not like they have you know a QB in waiting they don't have a you know a Marcus Mariota or even a New England Garoppolo type right. of situation you know a guy who's proven in, in small sample size to be you know effective I just don't, I don't know I don't think the upside is there with, with Brock Osweiler at all I think Peyton Manning is playing well enough to win you games and until that stops I don't think this is even a real conversation that they're having no I don't think it comes up at any point but I, I again I can't have, I cannot emphasize this enough. I think the Broncos could go three and seven over their last ten. I think that could happen. I think I think they could be exposed, and it, it starts with Sunday night. You know, if they're able to beat Green Bay, and it's a home game for Denver, if they're able to beat Green Bay on the back of that defense. I think that could carry them momentum wise for a while. But you know, if Green Bay is able to expose them, uh, you know, things could turn south pretty quick as the schedule heats up. Final late game on Sunday: Cowboys twenty, Giants twenty seven. Derek turns out. Matt Castle is not much better than Brandon Whedon. Three picks 
for Matt Castle. That's four straight losses now for Dallas. They're home against Seattle next week uh, and then home against Philadelphia in two weeks. So two tough games coming up. The biggest story of this game, I think, from a national media perspective was the the Des Bryant-Greg Hardy interaction on the sideline. I'm still not really sure exactly what happened. Greg Hardy was just trying to rile up the special teams unit. He knocked a clipboard out of a coach's hand. and <laughs> That's the way to do it. When Des Bryant is playing peacemaker, uh, that's kind of a sign of where this team is at. I can't even... Uh, <laughs> I don't understand why the Cowboys, they don't care about off-field stuff at all, obviously. But the fact that Greg Hardy is just so inept as far as self-awareness goes it's insane like, it's he's on crazy. another level from a guy even like Dez. right like that's that's the scary thing i think about craig hardy but the giants i mean give them credit for finding a way to win this game when they couldn't do a ton on the ground orleans darkwa maybe the big story in this one i don't even know who that guy is never heard of him prior to uh, yesterday Eli Manning didn't do all that well. I mean, I think the Cowboys' defense being healthy makes them a defensive unit you start to fear. Maybe not that far behind Denver in terms of overall quality, even though the results haven't been there. Four losses in a row, though. they got the Seahawks and Eagles coming up the next two weeks, so it's not going to get a whole lot easier. Until Romo's back, they're just floating. I I, I think they win a game or two at most without Romo, and that's, that's even probably a stretch. Yeah, I don't think I think they thought that they'd maybe be able to split the five or six games that they're going to end up, you know, that Romo is going to end up missing. Obviously, that hasn't been the case with those four straight losses. But, you know, looking at the division, the Giants are sitting in first at four and three. So even if Dallas loses again next week, let's say they, they're at two and five and maybe Romo comes back uh, for week nine, and that, that might be a little bit optimistic. They're still going to be in contention. Um, the NFC East isn't very good overall. It's a lot of me. There's four very mediocre teams, not bad, but not good. Um, and if they get Des back and Romo's healthy, they should be able to make a charge, you would think, uh, over those final six or seven games. But the thing about you know losing four, maybe five games in a row here without Romo is that you kind of take yourself out of the driver's seat. So even if they take care of business and you know win six of their last seven or whatever it might take, they, it might not ultimately be up to them because they've already dug themselves a couple game hole. Looking at the NFC East and, and the parity and, and the mediocrity um, that the division has a lot because of the health, of course, of, of Romo. I think the Cowboys are the best team in the division if Romo's healthy along with Dez, but that hasn't been the case so far. And it maybe he's going to be a few more weeks before we see Romo back, maybe at least another week before Dez. We really don't know just yet. If I gave you the choice of one team to win the division or the remaining three, which would you want? Like, it, would you rather have your choice of one, or would you rather get the leftovers like and let the someone field? else choose the one? Yeah. What, so I could choose any of those four or the field. Yeah. Like, if I, I, I'll give you the choice. Like, you can pick a team and have the team, or you can let me pick a team and get the field. The only team that I will pick against, like, there's only one team that's not winning this division. And I think that's Washington. Right. And, and I would not be surprised if any of the other three won. And I can't, I can't even figure out which of the other three I feel like is most likely, given the way it, it is open, like the way it is unfolded to this point. Like even though the Giants are in first right now, I still think the Eagles and Cowboys are both better. They're more yeah, talented. Well, teams. the Eagles are the toughest one, right? Yeah, for I sure. They just can't finish out drives. I don't know what it is. Like they looked all right at a lot of times against a good Carolina team on Sunday night, but when it came down to it. They couldn't protect Sam Bradford. He couldn't make plays outside the pocket. Everything is a check down throw, it seems. Uh, they, they just can't, they can't rip off big chunks of yardage through the air. And that is a problem if you're trying to win a division in the National Football League. So I guess to go back to your original question, I would take the field. I don't feel comfortable you know, really putting anything behind the Giants, the Eagles, or the Cowboys. And, and like I said, I think Washington's the only team that I'm 
very comfortable saying will not win the division. Yeah, I, I think we were in complete agreement there. Um, you mentioned the Eagles. I mean, they had this Sunday night game. They lost 27-16 to the Panthers. They did have a pretty good chance to score. They ended up settling for a 29-yard field goal. This came late in the second quarter. Really nice throw from Sam Bradford. Found a spot where only his guy, only Jordan Matthews, could get it. Uh, no force-out rule anymore. Matthews gets shoved out of bounds. Couldn't get a second foot down. Actually made a pretty good catch. I know he's had some issues hanging onto the ball this year, too. It, I don't know if it's a Bradford thing or if it's just something about the personnel not really clicking yet. You're getting a lot of questions in Philadelphia now about the number of snaps DeMarco Murray plays versus Ryan Matthews because Matthews has looked good when called upon for the last few weeks in a pretty limited role. But maybe that's part of why he's been so good, is that he's been fresh. Like, I, I think so, too. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know if it necessarily is a sign that Matthews is a, a significantly better fit for the offense than Murray at this point. Uh, but the carries still favored Murray 3-1. to one. Asked about it after the game. Chip Kelly said that's up to Deuce Staley, who's the uh, current running back coach. I thought I saw him on the sideline. Okay, he, the, he's gained quite a bit of weight. Good for him. Yeah, so good, good, for, good for him. He's eating a lot of cheesesteaks. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you were going to wear the jersey of a former Eagles running back, would Deuce Staley be the, the one you'd go after? I mean, who's, what are the other options? Brian, Brian Westbrook. Coral Buckhalter. Oh, Buckhalter um, would be a nice pull. The NFL, first of all, is completely void of deuces right now. I mean, at one point, we had Deuce Staley and Deuce McAllister. I was a big Deuce McAllister fan, as I'm sure you were. Well, I think that overlapped with Najee Davenport's presence oh, in the league, right. too. So you, uh, you kind of had another deuce sure. in there, too. Closet pooper. Yeah. Najee Davenport. You might have um, to bleep that out. I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Hopefully not. Um yeah, if you don't if you don't understand that reference, please look it up. I don't want to get into any more detail, <laughs> yes. but just search Najee Davenport plus closet, uh, and you should be able to get what you're looking for there. You'll at least get a story. I, I don't I don't condone looking for any images or videos. <laughs> that there, may be. I don't know if there are images. I hope not. I haven't gone that far. But the thing that that shocks me or appalls me when I watch the Eagles is just the number of like negative or no gain plays that they have. Um, especially DeMarco Murray. I mean, 18 rushes, 65 yards, along of just 11 yards. They, just, they don't break off long runs, and it just seems like per set of four downs, you know, they're good for at least like one, one and a half, like just completely broken plays where they try to run Murray off tackle and he gets cut down after a yard or two, and that's just not the Chip Kelly way, you know, that we've seen. And it's so tough to compare to Oregon because, you know, it's, it's a college game. The level of competition is obviously much lower, and, I think Ryan Matthews kind of fits his style a little bit more. Like he he kind of looked a little, he had a little Kenyon Barner in him last night in that long run. Those you know shorter strides, but he's a little bit quicker. He stays lower. Demarco Murray, you know, he's almost more of a he's more of a Legarrette Blunt type. If we're comparing him to former Oregon running backs, and you know, you look at the the rest of the guys that have had so much success in that college system, they're smaller, they're they're the water bug type of guys. You know, your Sproles, your Matthews type of guys. So I just think. DeMarco Murray is probably the best running back on this team. He's the best overall football player, but I just don't know that he necessarily fits this system that's based on, you know, hitting holes quickly, making quick cuts, because he's just not able to rip off long runs like we like we saw so much last year in Dallas. But he's not slow, though, either. No, that's what doesn't not. make any sense about it. Like, it's it's not like, like the, the Blunt comparison is just because of the degree Size. to which Blunt is different than the other Oregon right. backs. That, it's not it. because that's... Murray and Blunt are actually no, like not the same all. type of player. I, I see where you're going Blunt with that. Blunt was just such a stark contrast to the rest yeah. of those type of guys. but. I, I just I can't wrap my mind around how Murray hasn't had more success when Matthews has ripped off no. a handful of long runs this year now. It seems like those plays should be with, happening for Murray. I don't have a problem with them pounding Murray, though. Like I just said, I, I'm, you know, I'm shocked with how many plays end in 0-1-2 yard gains, but DeMarco Murray is DeMarco Murray. I, I don't mind giving him the ball 18 times. I think more often than not, he's going to end up rewarding you for that in the long run. Um, 
Obviously, that was not the case Sunday night. But like you said, Philadelphia was close in this one. They had you know a couple of red zone drives that ended up stalling. You mentioned the field goal. Um, there was one, Josh Norman made a really, really nice diving play. I don't remember. I think this was second or third quarter. Uh, I think it was Zach Ertz in the back of the end zone. Looked like he had a, a perfect ball from Sam Bradford, and Norman completely laid out 180 degrees and, and tipped it away at the last second. So, I mean, it's just plays like that. Um, you know, if they score there, if they get a touchdown there, this this game maybe looks a little bit different. But, I mean, hats off to this Panthers defense. Josh Norman, we we talked about the pro football focus rankings. He's number one among quarterbacks, this, or cornerbacks, excuse me, this year. A guy that already has two pick sixes uh, up there as far as passes defended. And I think he... This was kind of his breakout game on a national stage if people didn't know who, jo- who Josh Norman is. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Now, the Panthers' offense, I mean, it was Jonathan Stewart really doing a good job on the ground against an Eagles defense. It's been pretty strong up front this year. 24 carries, 125 yards for but. Stewart. But but the bookshelf, Mike Tolbert, uh, gets in the end zone twice. Cam Newton also rushed for a TD. I just wanted at least one, at least one of those TDs to go to Jonathan Stewart. I had him going in the millimaker. It would have been huge for me to get all three of those TDs somehow, but even two. Okay, If the one to Newton happens and the two that go to Tolbert go to Stewart, I'm in a great spot going into the Monday night game. I still got Palmer, still got Fitz to go, already in a cash spot, feeling pretty good about what I've put together. And this crap happens where Mike Tolbert scores twice, gets 18 yards on four touches but gets two tds the one that i didn't have jonathan well i actually did have jonathan stewart going in a season-long league but nothing i was super concerned about the, the tolbert receiving touchdown was great because it was basically a swing pass he caught it like just outside the hash mark and his momentum like almost carried him out of bounds without being hit it took him like three or four steps just to like change directions and somehow dodged a tackle and basically pinballed his way into the end zone as he so often does i feel like if you tried playing soccer with a bowling ball that that would be like You'd experience what momentum probably feels like when Mike Tolbert runs, like the way that you'd have to like really manipulate the ball to get it to change directions. Like that's Tolbert. Like it's you need to put spin on him. Yeah, I mean or he's, he's going to go in one direction. The thing I'm watching this, I'm watching that play. The Eagles had like three defenders surrounding him. At it the looked two. like it was going to be a loss of three. It looked like they were going to tackle him short, and they could run another play with Stewart potentially. And I'm just I'm so angry. The Eagles blew it. Ron Rivera screwed me again. Like it's, uh, it's just what the Van Riper Rivera rivalry continues. It, it's like, come on, man. Like, why, why do you have to do that? You, your running backs playing really well, and you got to reward Mike Tolbert twice. He went full Gus Bradley. I did, unfortunately, uh, I kind of slipped up in the RotoWire league this week, and I had Toby Gerhardt starting last week, and Oof. I, I don't want to get into that. There were some injury issues, some buy issues. Yeldon was out. He's my primary back in that league. So I had to start McCluster and Gerhardt. McCluster's actually been decent, which is you can get, you can kind of guess what my running back situation is in this league, just judging by those two names. But sounds awesome. As of like Friday, Yeldon was still questionable, and I didn't. I was busy Saturday, busy Sunday morning. I like didn't even think of it, and then you know I checked RotoWire of course and saw that Yeldon was playing. It was too late by the time I woke up on Sunday, uh, so I had I had to deal with Toby Gerhardt in my lineup. Obviously, wasn't thrilled about that, but the four straight attempts from the one yard line i was like all right you know i might be able to salvage this he's gonna you know he's probably gonna get me seven points or whatever but that's <laughs> fine like yeldon wasn't having a, a, a standout game really by any means did top 100 yards but 
it was it was frustrating. Obviously, I didn't have as much riding on it as your as your millionaire maker entry, but I think you're still sitting pr- like pretty well going into this Monday night game. Yeah, I mean, I if if Palmer and Fitz hook up for at least a TD and Palmer has a good game, I should maybe crack at least like the hundred dollar cash range, which is is nice. I, I bought one entry. I, I I take the Charlie Bucket approach as I've mentioned before. I'm not uh, I'm not the guy with a hundred lineups. It's just not my style. I don't have that kind of bankroll and. You know, it's been a pretty good year for me on, on DraftKings overall. I've just had a lot of success so far in the Millionaire Maker. I know, I know that that can't continue every single week. I mean, I, most likely you're going to have a week where you don't cash if you keep playing a tournament over and over again. But, man, if Palmer and Fitz could somehow have one of those nights where everything is going to Fitz, that could be a lot of fun I for me. I could see this game getting out of hand pretty quickly. Um, I think Arizona, like I said, at home, Monday night game, they're going to be jazzed up for that. I think there's going to be a lot of points to be had on the Arizona side of this one. Um, yeah, I mean, could this be the final nail in the coffin for Baltimore if they, if they go down tonight, whether it's in, you know, whether Arizona kills them or if it's close, does it really matter at this point? I mean, they're a one-win team right now, a team that nobody thought would be a one-win team, uh, but, you know, a one-win team nonetheless. If they slide to one and six, is it over? I mean, it, yeah, it would Probably be. Been over. But with with John Harbaugh too, it's like, do you ever really count his team out? Like, I, I think for the Cardinals, are I think were a double digit favorite, if I'm not mistaken. Like, they were favored by ten last time I saw the line for this game. Yeah, let's check that out real quickly. I, I expect the Ravens to do enough offensively to actually keep it like keep it respectable. Like, I, I just don't see them as a team that's susceptible to getting absolutely blown out in a scenario yeah. where everyone expects them to get blown out. I mean, their Arizona season is hanging nine. in the balance. Like any slim playoff hopes they have are hinging on tonight and getting a win. If they lose tonight, they, they pretty much have to win out 10 straight, uh, and that includes matchups with Cincinnati and healthy Pittsburgh. I don't, I don't see that happening at all. I think they're out of it, and they're a good team. I mean, they're, they're maybe the best if they, you know, they're maybe one of the better one in six teams that we've ever seen, uh, but one in six at the end of the day isn't going to get it done. No. Um, what else do we have to talk about? Oh, I, I had to ask you a question. I saw a, a Seattle 12th fan jersey over the weekend which is what reminded me we talked a little bit about this before the podcast wait wait first off where were you when you saw this it's somewhere downtown it's i don't know some bar people, that plays a lot like of macklemore tracks people like the seahawks around here because of russell wilson that's terrible it is i know i mean uh, basically what my question was is you know we're familiar with the 12th fan jersey i think we can agree that those are horrific and shouldn't be produced and it's an abomination that they're in the top 20 selling jerseys on nfl.com that said is it worse would you rather be caught wearing a Hank the Brewers K9 jersey or a Seattle 12th fan jersey? You know, I, I have thought about this. And there's uh, one on this commercial as we record. For at least an hour. And um, I, would, I would not wear the 12th fan jersey ever because I, I hate the Seahawks as a Packer fan. Like, they're one of my least favorite teams in the league. So I think I'd have to wear the Hank the Dog t-shirt, which is really embarrassing because... As great of a, a story as you know, a stray dog wandering into the spring training complex and, and being adopted and, and being cared for, subsequently exploited, <laughs> and them being marketed right, like the story up until the point of him being marketed this much was like a nice little story, like a little subnote of, of yeah. spring training last year. I mean, look the the thing that bothers me about the Hank the Dog stuff too is that when you go to a game, you see more people, more fans wearing Hank jerseys. Than you do, I mean, at the time when Gar- Carlos Gomez was a brewer, Carlos Gomez jerseys. Like, I would, oh, yeah. I would count every time I went to a game, and it'd be two or three to one 
in terms of Hank think apparel it, if you're a versus woman Gomez. over 50 years old or maybe any I think I think their target with Hank the dog is like is the elderly it's the elderly and children and like children. It, it's like it's, it's a smart it's a shrewd marketing move it's I'll like say that. kids under 12 and then senior citizens like yes. that's usually like that's the spectrum of like Hank's biggest fans and look give the Brewers some credit for coming up with a marketing thing that obviously makes them money they give some of the proceeds of his of his sales uh, his merchandise sales to uh, I think animal shelters, so it's like there's some there's some like small positive element to it, but it, it's absurd. They like, should have to they should have to burn a 25 man roster spot on him. Yeah, I mean maybe like 40 man. He uh, he made an appearance at opening day that spring. I, I remember I remember that, and they they dropped the Baja Men track because oh, no. of course they would. And oh no no, I so there are so many times as a sports fan where I'm just ashamed of how. Everybody has like a pre-canned strategy when it comes to in-game entertainment. Like so many teams do the exact same things. Like in the NBA, it's jock jams. It's like it's been jock jams since 1997. And I, right. I can't understand why we have to tolerate that or why we tolerate that as fans because the longer we go without speaking out about it, the longer it's going to continue. First of all, I can't believe this is even coming up organically, but the Baja men performed at halftime with the Giants uh cowboys game yesterday what yes why because no on field they search it what that Open didn't know this is a lie this didn't happen it happened um no it no it happened. didn't um it definitely happened so just there's that first of all um but yeah second of all i mean the were you at the bucks game on tuesday no i wanted to go but i could not okay so the milwaukee bucks played a preseason game here in madison on tuesday we all went uh well not all of us apparently but most of us went and they they did not hold back anything for like halftime entertainment timeout entertainment i mean the t-shirt gun was firing on all cylinders they had what did they have oh mascot bowling bucky the badger got involved and they had like they brought out like a giant slingshot and just like shot him on a scooter across the court to knock over these inflatable bowling pins they had the the dunker guys who do flips on trampolines they were dunking at about like a 20 percent rate uh, like a lot of missed dunks, preseason for them too. So yeah, well, yeah, yeah. You gotta, you gotta. I mean, but I think the NBA does a better job with that type of stuff. And there, there are obviously more opportunities in the NBA. You know, like you call a timeout in the NFL, they're not going to run out and do something quick on the field. I, I think the challenge is entertaining people who aren't just there for the baseball. And I'm obviously there for the baseball. Like right. that's that's I'm a hardcore when baseball I go to a Brewers fan. Game, first thing is I want to see dogs. Second thing is hopefully there's a baseball game going on. Right. And I think that's a, like the Madison Mallards, the Northwoods League team. Like people don't go there to watch baseball. People go there to drink all you can oh, drink no. beer I, in the duck blind. Back in college I wrote a story on the Madison Mallards, just kind of a, a profile of you know what they're all about basically. And I ta- I spoke with like their president, their GM, they're all, they're pretty accessible. You know, this isn't a major yeah. league team or anything. Um, and basically they, they both, they all echoed, echoed the same thing as like, we don't see ourselves as a baseball team. We see ourselves as a business, as an entertainment business. And they basically said, we don't sell baseball. You know, we sell an experience and there happens to be a baseball game going on. And it's, it's weird to hear him say it like that, you know, cause these are guys who obviously care about baseball and care about the team, but that's kind of, that's kind of how you have to look at it, at least, especially at a minor league level like that. Well, and that's what I, I wish. Here's the only thing I wish about the Northwoods league. And it's cool for, for the college kids that get to come play in the league. It gets them good exposure and maybe increases their chances of one day uh, being drafted. Maybe that helps them, and that's great. But I wish it were affiliated uh, with, with a minor league system. I wish it were like the low-A affiliate. I wish it were a Midwest League team because, one, I'd be able to watch prospects that are actually on their way to the big leagues and not several years away from even maybe getting that opportunity. 
And, and, and two, I think they would prove that it, it works at the minor league level, regardless of whether or not you know, the product on the field is college kids or not. Like, I, I don't think it matters. Like, I think, I think they've, no, they've nobody made, goes to the games and cares who's playing. No, I mean, no one is at a lot of like low A teams. You know, the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers were the team near me during childhood. Like we went to games all the time and like you and I you know, was probably as tuned in as like a 12 year old kid could be to minor league baseball and like. You never even know who's going to be out there. No like clue. They, they, their players are constantly shuffling in and out. There's rehab guys, and people don't care who's on the field. Every every now and then, you know, like for example, in a rehab assignment. You know, I think Prince Fielder came and played there one time. Yeah, yeah. Sold it out, and, and, that, and like that, that gets marketed as it should because right. I mean, fans of the big league team nearby are, are going to come see this guy in a tiny stadium, exactly. and it's a it's a good environment, and that's all fine and well. But yeah, the the Baja men. I mean, I can't believe that still gets rotation, and I'm shocked that they played a halftime concert of a Giants-Cowboys game yesterday. That song is a banger, though. Who Let the Dogs Out? Timeless. Mm, Subject matter? Is it There's actually always, a banger? always going to be let out. Yeah, you have to. Otherwise, they're going to pee in the house. Right. I mean, you don't have a choice. you got to let the dogs out. Exactly. The question is, who lets the dogs out? Yeah. So, I, I don't know if we've ever actually gotten an answer on that. I don't think we have. No. No, no one. No one's yeah. ever ad- admitted to letting the dogs out. It's been almost what fifteen years now. Cold case. Well, okay. So we, I, I have an important um, public service announcement to, to share, and I know that eighty minutes in, the small <laughs> listening audience we have has already very, turned very the podcast off. But if you are still listening, first off, thank you. We, we appreciate uh, your your loyalty to the pod. I'm looking at the rankings right now on iTunes. In, in the sports category podcast, not just in general, we are ranked 137th right now. Um, so this is going to be the direct appeal for reviews. If you guys like this podcast, guys, girls, children, dogs, animals, anyone listening to this podcast who just enjoys it and has not left us a nice review, we'd really appreciate it if you do that. Uh, because I'm looking at some of this. There's a there's a Hawkeye Nation podcast ranked ahead of us right now. I mean, just just a University of Iowa podcast. There's a, a Whitetail Q and A, a deer hunting podcast ranked ahead of us right now. There's a podcast called You Bet Your Garden with Mike McGrath at 127. That's currently ranked ahead of us right now. I mean, there's a, there's a lot. I mean, if you're if you're 137th, there's a, a lot of bizarre pods that are are ranked ahead of you. I mean, Bill Simmons' old podcast at ESPN, which isn't even the current one, is still ranked ahead of us at 116. So we really need your support on iTunes, on Stitcher. If you could leave us a nice review, we would really appreciate that. Um, it's, it's like the tip jar, really, for a podcast. You know, We don't, we don't exactly. ask for cash or anything like that. Just um, leave I mean, us a nice review. Send, if you want to send cash, that's fine. We're not going to say no. But cash, uh, old uh, Jacksonville Jags jerseys would be greatly appreciated for Nick. Uh, if you have anything in like a Tottenham Hotspur jersey, like a Clint Dempsey, but any Spurs jersey at all would be good. Even in the, even NBA Spurs jerseys, I mean, I'll, I'll take a Kawhi Leonard or a Tim Duncan if, if you if you have one just laying around that you don't want. Uh, but really, the reviews would be huge. It would just get us up in the rankings a little bit. And uh, if we if we if we don't get higher up in the rankings, I, the future of this pod may be um, maybe in doubt. <laughs> are, you, are you using like threats for people to review? <laughs> no, I'm just I'm, I'm just speaking the truth, man. If if, uh, if we're not getting people to listen and, and review this pod, we're they're going to turn the lights off and, and the mics too. I mean, the lights go off first, and then we're, then we're podcasting in the dark, which is scary and creepy at the same time. And then um, eventually the mics get turned off too. And you know, if you like this pod, you, you probably don't want that to happen. Hopefully not. Um, so again, like Derek said, thank you for listening uh, to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. As always, 
We're brought to you by DraftKings.com. DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports. You can use the promo code ROTOWIRE, that's R-O-T-O-W-I-R-E, when you make your first deposit on DraftKings, and that'll get you a free contest entry today. 